There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast, The Irish Examiner. Now, one story has been at the centre of media output over the last three weeks. That doesn't mean it was the most important story around. In fact, it almost definitely was not. Neither does it imply it was the story with the greatest purchase on the public interest. Because again, I don't think that was the case. It was, however, the story in which the public appear to have had the greatest interest. Or at least we think so. I'm talking, of course, about RTE, its culture of apparent excess, and in particular its relationship with Ryan Tuberty and how much money it was paying him, beyond that which was publicly stated. So where does it go from here? As far as I can see, there are a couple of big questions to be addressed. One of these is whether Ryan Tuberty will be back on the air broadcasting his radio show. Another is where now for RTE. And yet another is whether a new culture at the top within the broadcaster, which seems to be required, can be instigated by the new Director General, Kevin Backhorst. With such weighty questions at issue, there was only one person to turn to, and that's communications expert and Irish examiner columnist Terry Prone. Terry, you're very welcome. Thank you, sir. Terry, one thing that occurs to me, and we get into the, the, the meat and drink of it in a second, but one of the things that one of those questions I laid out, and it seems to be a question that a, a lot of the public, or at least that section, that indeterminable section of the public which is engaged, appears to be interested in, is whether or not Ryan Tuberty will turn to the airways. It strikes me that if we were six months ago, that would be a big question for RTE. But now he's no longer the presenter of the Late Late Show. He's the presenter of a one-hour radio programme in the morning that's nice listening, but neither hard current affairs nor anything um, specific, so to speak. Is it the case that now, this is obviously vitally important for Ryan Tubbley in his future, but not so much for RTE as it might have been up until recently? The power in any negotiation that's going to happen, and we have to assume that it will happen directly between RT and Ryan, as opposed to through his agent, uh, the power lies completely with RTE because there would be no dire consequences in listenership if Ryan were not to continue. There might be a flurry of reaction particularly from older people on programmes like Liveline that would say that Ryan had been badly treated, he'd been made a scapegoat, it wasn't really his fault. But if RTE decides to weather that out, it could weather it out without dire consequences in any direction. So what, your opinion, will determine whether or not he comes back to RTE? I think that a number of factors will play into it, but I was struck by Kevin Backhurst has been saying repeatedly that he's taking soundings among staff because clearly the staff were the people most directly injured uh, by, by what happened. 
because um, they believed that everybody had taken the same kind of pay cut, whereas Ryan's was mitigated by these 75,000 euro payments, uh, covert payments. So staff are feeling very badly and that has morphed into all of the trade unions being very active in expressing just how badly the staff feel. But I was struck, and I suspect you may have been struck, Mick, in the last 24 hours by political reaction that says, well, now hang on a second, that's not actually how people are appointed or retained in their jobs. You don't recruit somebody with the job spec that says, and the staff must also like you. It wouldn't be good governance. And so I suspect that Backhurst is not talking rhetorically, but certainly indicating that it will feed into the complexity of factors that will lead to the reappointment or non-reappointment of Tuberty. Obviously, other factors will include the financial ones. We're not in a situation, I actually did a thing recently for the examiner where I was pointing out that advertisers in many areas are now the moral arbiters. They can decide based on the alignment of their values with the issue that um, this is not moral, that's not moral, this is not going to continue. So advertisers have huge purchase on issues like this, but there's very little evidence that advertisers have taken a scunner to uh, Tuberty. It's just kind of, okay, what's the programme? Will we support it or will we not? So I'm not sure that, that placating advertisers is going to be an issue. Um, they will be looking at the staff reaction, at the advertiser reaction, but they'll also be looking at most of all, I suspect, looking at what Backhurst has been saying, they'll also be looking mostly at audience. And you'll have noticed that Backhurst has repeatedly talked about digital first, digital first, which means that he is making big choices between the old RTE1 audience and the new RTE1 audience, if that new one is there to be wooed. So the fact that Ryan's programme up to now has done very well in the ratings with older people might not be a huge advantage to the programme going forward. Yeah, and some people will suggest that were he not to come back and effectively lose his job, that it would be a very harsh penalty to pay for what occurred. Now, quick thing about that, and just give you very quick my take on it, which I think is a fairly bog-standard take, but it, it, it has all the appearance, this whole thing has all the appearance of a setup in order to channel money to Ryan Tuberty in a way that it would not appear in the uh, declared earnings of the top presenters. That's how it looks, and I think that's how a lot of people grab it. Um, if that is the case, then so far we have not been getting the truth effectively from a number of parties and we've been getting zero 
from the parties most central to the affair, who would include the likes of D Forbes, and also Renault. Renault have not come out and said anything in terms of what its role was, what it was asked to do, or any of that. So, in that scenario, if it isn't clear what happened, how how, how does RT move on from it? That's one of those how long is a piece of string questions because, <laughs> first of all, um, there the moral issue is that Ryan effectively misled his colleagues about taking the size of pay cut that he actually took. The secondary moral issue, which is probably not a big factor in RTE's thinking, but still nonetheless matters, is that Ryan is doing the hands off, sure, I didn't know anything about it. I get this man on my left to do all the negotiation. Well, do you know something? Years and years ago, my wonderful husband and I had an accountant and he took care of the income tax stuff. Now, the first year, the income tax, pretty pathetic because we were real poor. Second year, marginally better. Third year, mighty. And then the accountant suddenly popped his clouds and died. God love him. We've got another accountant. And the next thing, the other accountant comes to us and says, lads, you're in trouble. Why are we in trouble? Because God rest in your accountant took the first year where you earned thrippence and put in the same figures for years two and three. You're in trouble with the revenue. And I couldn't say to the revenue, well, we didn't know anything, although we hadn't paid a blind bit of attention. I just had to go to the revenue and say, guilty as charged, how, how do I pay ye back? And similarly, I don't think that it is totally acceptable for Ryan to be indicating that he had nothing to do with it, didn't know anything about it. There are things that in my company, if somebody is buying three new chairs, they don't take kickbacks from the chair suppliers. There are, is none of that covert stuff. And therefore, that's questionable on Ryan's behalf. But it's not questionable enough to make him lose his job. That's certainly not the case. You raise a fascinating thing about Renault. I, I would say that Renault are betwixt and between on this because they have been mentioned and mispronounced constantly, um, which is good for their brand one way or the other, but not in the best of contexts. And I would say that now that you raise the issue that they're thinking, uh, is somebody going to plug the compelability thing into us and make us come in in front of the Iraqs? You know, Renault may say, listen, we don't know what the hell RTE was at. We didn't have the time to get into the ethics of it. So we just went along. But it would be very interesting to see what happens there. Well, the thing that strikes me about that, Terry, is, and maybe I've picked this up wrong, but Renault agreed to this scenario whereby Ryan would present these mobile late late shows at Renault venues around the country and a fee would accord, I think it was 25 grand a pop for three a year, 75,000 a year. Now, that's all one thing. And if there was a separate commercial arrangement between Ryan Tuberty and Renault, grand, his own business, fair play, man can pull that in, good luck to him. But the, the phrase that leaps out at me is cost neutral. How 
can Ryan provide his services to Renault in a manner that is cost neutral, which I take to mean in which they have to pay nothing, uh, for these events? I mean, on a commercial basis, that simply does not make sense. So does one have to immediately conclude from that that there was some form of an agreement whereby RTE would be paying this and it would seem, in terms of the first invoice for um, 75,000, Renault paid the, him the 75,000 and they got a credit note, presumably for advertising with RT, and the others came directly from RT. I mean, it's very difficult from that to conclude other than this was, as I said, a method of paying Ryan, not off the books, but off the, out, out of the public sphere, the public glare, so to speak. We didn't, and this uh, relates to problems with the committees, um, we didn't get any politician asking Ryan how he felt about his agent either concealing that from him or telling it to him. We never got that at all. Um, and that's a real pity, and that may require that they come back in. Yeah, he, he's... Um... No, it has to be said, he, he gave a very polished performance the other day. And, you know, it has to be said also, one can imagine on a personal level what he's going through because anybody who's been through that sort of thing, one minute he can't go outside his door because he'll be mobbed and he needs to be careful where he goes, etc. because of, not adulation, but certainly interest from the public. And the next he's afraid to go out because he doesn't know what the reaction is and, and, and he's... To some extent, the prisoner is home. That, that That's some fall from a height. It's ghastly. It's awful. And even in Leinster House, when he was addressing the committee, even though he was very focused on the performance that he was giving, he had a baffled look to him. It must be so difficult to go from being... I mean, it was a slight overstatement for Noel Kelly to describe him as the most trusted man in Ireland. But it's it's close enough. And to suddenly be shouted at as he was when he was leaving the, the Oireachtas Committee, going through the grounds of Leinster House, shouted at by a hector accusing him of things, that's awful. And I think particularly painful for him is that thing of not being able to leave his house. I had a brief version of that years ago. I don't know what it was. I annoyed the Daily Mail in some way. And they sent a team of people um, to camp outside my door. And the doorbell rang and I could hear my husband talking down the phone to them and saying, Anna, you don't understand. Jerry never goes anywhere. You could be waiting forever, <laughs> you know? And then he was offering them cups of coffee. but. It was it was a horrendous feeling, even though I don't go anywhere ever. Um, the sense of being imprisoned, the sense of being terrified that there were going to be flashlights going the minute that you went. I'm desperately, desperately sorry for Ryan Tupperty. And I do think that the last three weeks must be so painful. Yeah, and I suppose that it comes down to a question of in terms of public opinion and, and that of his colleagues, is to what extent he was the author of his own downfall. But that, you know, that, that, that could be a very small extent. It could be more considerable. But that's that's a, a philosophical question, perhaps. 
You mentioned the committees. I mean, what strikes me, Terry, about the, the day uh, Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly went in there, uh, first of all, a, a, a book of documents, the relevant documents, land at half past eight that morning. Uh, then we advance, the, all these politicians then are in there. And no doubt, I can imagine, in front of the mirror that morning, they were, this is the time of their lives. Andy Warhol's five minutes of fame, they'll never have it again, you know. And very, that's the nature of politics, that's what they're in. So they, they have to get their heads around that. Uh, in comes Ryan and Noel Kelly. You have a scenario whereby it's, in, in, in terms of getting to the truth, I think it's a form of the Wild West. There is no rhyme nor reason to it. You've one guy asking, what, it's nearly as if they all want to see, can I get the, the gotcha moment? I'm going to be on TV tonight. I'm going to be on Twitter, whatever. And then that done, we move on to a second committee. Now, I think it was a good strategic move on Ryan Tuberty's part to have the two of them in one day. So one can't be digested in order for questions to emerge for the second one. But... The idea that you have two separate committees with an overlap of members, a number of them were in both committees, and how that can be a way to attempt to get at the facts, it strikes me as absolutely crazy. It is outrageous and the self-congratulatory tone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Taken by the committees and the committee members is reprehensible because they have done all to congratulate themselves. But in many cases, um, the the entertainment value, the thing that had the big screens and pubs, was what uh, the TDs were achieving, even if it wasn't what they were looking for. Um, there's a number of questions that have to be asked about the, the committees. One is that because they don't sit down together beforehand and say, look, here's my thread of interrogation. How does yours fit into that? Instead, therefore, of having a build-up of logical inquiry, you end up with a dreadfully repetitious, chaotic thing that goes from one point to a completely different point. Now, that is un underproductive, but it's also questionable from the, the Ryan Tuberty point of view, because what you get is actually a form of third degree. You get, it, it, sorry, when I'm teaching people how to do cross-examination, I am always teaching them to ask a random series of questions so that the person answering can't get a purchase on where the direction of the questions is going. It's very unsettling for the person being questioned. So that's the first point. So that was unsettling for any of the people in front of the committee. The second thing is, it's bloody exhausting. It's bloody exhausting. Six hours of effectively random questions interspersed with one, two, or maybe three 
really good TDs mm. who had done their homework and knew what they were doing. The other thing it was interspersed with, I, I thought there'd be more of this. I thought there'd be more hero worship of Ryan. But it seemed to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that the only person who was really hero worshipy was Verona, Verona Murphy. Um, I'm not saying that she was like a, a, a retriever puppy, but there was an awful lot of drool. But you are. <laughs> there was a lot of drool going on there. Um, but all of that varied approach. Oh, and there's one more thing. What I don't think people at home or perhaps Ryan and Noel would have re realised is that the people doing the questions have their mobile phones in front of them and they're being fed questions by journalists who have already established a narrative direction and wish to support it. So there's a number of things in fairness that we need to look at in committees. They're very exciting, but they are the parliamentary equivalent of a cluster bomb. Uninvolved people end up losing legs and feet. Exactly, and then where, where, at, at the end of the day, then we still have unanswered questions. As you said, there's no structure to the Inquisition. And of course, the, 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 the alternative is to have uh, somebody, for example, appointed by a committee to compile a report or an outline, present that to the committee in private, and the committee decide on the bones of that, who should take which part and advance thereafter. But the two problems with that is, one... Uh, this is from the, the politician's point of view, I would guess. One, it loses the immediacy. So, I mean, the media caravan will have moved on, etc. will come back for a, a pit stop, so to speak. Then, And the second is, they'll be squabbling over who has the juiciest questions in terms of the gotcha moment. Exactly. Your theme of the gotcha moment is crucial in all of this. This is not about ju truth or justice. This is about entertainment being noticed by your constituents being valued by your own party. And there will be several, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want to feed into that process, but there will be several TDs who at the end of this week, and therefore at the end of a month of this, um, are greatly enhanced, will be greatly enhanced at the ballot box. They will also be much more valued by their political party because they performed in that sense very, very well. It is the most, it, it's more important than any normal parliamentary activity, what, what we've seen in, in committees. It reaches many more people. And it's not just um, things like Ryan Tuberty. I mean, uh, Maliki Clerken has a fabulous piece on the Irish Times website about the the other thing about Diego. Um, exactly. Um, and it's desperately funny, but it also makes you think, Jesus, I'm very grateful that I'm an innocent bystander and not coming out of this in ribbons. And on that point, Harry, you know, you'd, you'd have experienced this in various ways. You've worked with a lot of politicians in that. Do you do you think that actually it would make a difference at the ballot box for individual TDs who were on a committee in that respect? Oh, absolutely. Oh, no doubt about this, Mick. What you're looking at, people think that social media is everything. 
It's not. The first and most potent method, you, you have to imprint yourself on voters. You know the thing, you know about imprinting on ducks? No, go on. If you take a duckling in its first two days of life and you make it follow a roller skate, the duckling decides this roller skate is my mother. It will follow the roller skate everywhere because the technical term is it's imprinted on the roller skate. The same process happens with voters, an imprinting process, that imprinting of I like how that person makes me feel about myself, which is a crucial thing. And that's much more likely to happen one to one, face to face. That's the, the but it's not possible yeah. to do that all the time. And so if you can have something that allows you to see somebody in close up performing really well in a situation like in a pub where you're with other people who are nodding and, and reacting to that, that is an imprinting process which will have a role at the ballot box. As they say, there's method to their madness, but the rest of us just have to look on it. As, as, as I think it was as Maureen Dowd used to say about the bushes, it's their world, we just live in it, that kind of thing. Um, no, tell me, moving on, just briefly from that to uh, RTE itself, Kevin Backhurst, I wrote a piece in the Examiner a number of months ago and it was announced that he was going to be the DG. And uh, I was one source I spoke to within RTE, the, the, the quote they gave me was along the lines of, um, he's a safe pair of hands, but the last thing we need right now is a safe pair of hands, inferring that what was really needed was somebody who'd be up for radical change because they, they were maintaining that's what was required. I wonder, <laughs> would there be a reassessment of that in light of recent weeks and uh, whether Backhurst's uh, qualities maybe uh, looked at in a different view and, and whether it could be a, a, an additional plus for the station. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is this has been so fascinating because you would think if you were an Englishman coming in as the new director general of the Irish National Broadcaster, that the last thing you would want is their star performer and their top management being run over by a truck, which is effectively what happened. Um, in fact, it is arguably the best thing that could ever have happened to Kevin Backhurst. No messing. And secondly, Kevin Backhurst may be the best thing that ever happened to RTE. The, the timeliness is the key factor here. First of all, Backhurst comes into a situation where it's like a lawnmower went over the management. They, all the top ones are gone. And he has new people. And the great thing he has is that they're new, possible people. Sorry, that implies that they're not human beings. I mean that uh, they're interim people. And he can try them out and then decide, you and you are great, but you don't make it, so we get somebody else in Europe. He is in a wonderful position that way. The second thing is that all of the assumptions around which RTE policy and practice have been built are being questioned. With luck, there will be a profound restructure because in my view, the current board structure doesn't work. 
It is to me crazy that a board specifically isn't allowed to look at programming or to take a view on programming. The hell is it there for if that's not what it's going to look at? Um, so there may be, depending on what government wants, there may be a complete restructuring there. But the best thing that happened to Bathurst is, is self-generated. He, he did it himself. He arrived in, people really didn't know him from a hole in the ground. And he took it all in public. It's an interesting decision for a man who has no public profile and I suspect has never wanted a public profile. It's also historically interesting because, Mick, I would put it to you, you can't remember performances by um, Directors General of RTE. Absolutely. It, they just were never public figures. They never went out on media. Um, uh, one of them had to go before an Iraqis committee. That was about it. Whereas Backers came in, looked at the situation, and started to go out and to stand in front of the trade unionists and the protesters and everything and listen to them and talk to them, pay attention to them. And then he started to talk to media and he did the classic RTE thing of starting with RTE, which is fair enough. But then he started to talk to Today FM and News Talk and Virgin. Whoa. And all of the time, he was that wonderful media performer who wasn't self-regarding. He wasn't saying, I'm so sorry for myself that I've come into this office. He was simply looking at what we need to do, what's the proper thing to do, what is the respectful and dignified thing to do. And in all of that, he didn't put a foot wrong. There would be some in corporate governance and business who would be worried, as I said before, about the emphasis on asking the staff. But it may be and possibly should be no more than a corrective, something that will make staff feel he actually listened to us. He, he should not and could not do a survey of staff that would give him the actual figures on how many people want Ryan to come back and how many people uh, really don't want, because that would be to hand over governance to Poland. And that, that, that wouldn't be appropriate. But the bottom line is that a man who was thought of as just doing the normal stuff reasonably well has shown himself capable of mastering the abnormal stuff superbly. Yeah, and it's a couple of brief things. First of all, that whole thing with the staff and all the other thing there is um, to, to get their confidence and to effectively get them on side ahead of what quite, quite possibly could be a period of big transformation would be a big plus. And the other thing is, and I, I, I reckon this is big too, is uh, his previous experience here, both literally in terms of the culture of RT, the personnel, all of that, and, and, and coming in like that, that very much stood to him and allowed him to come out the way he did with the kind of, I suppose you'd call it, quiet confidence that, 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 that he managed this week. 
The other thing, Terry, that arises is the future in terms of funding. Now, RT seems to be in perpetual crisis in terms of funding. There's a big issue over the licence fee, whether it's fit for purpose. Um, they've stopped or paused the uh, inquiry into where to go forward from there. I mean, is this an opportunity for the government to look at the funding of RT in a very different way? And the other issue there is I get the impression they don't want it to come out of central exchequer. Now, they claim for the reason that uh, it would mean they need to be at arm's length from RT, which is very true, but you could easily do that by having an intermediary body or whatever take care of it. I suspect it's because they don't want to be throwing all money at RT when they can be putting it somewhere they might get a few votes. <laughs> I think you'll see a revival of the concept of the household charge. Um, the license fee collection, I mean, I know that people in government say, don't tell us that the revenue don't like collecting this. Revenue's preferences are bloody irrelevant. They will obey the law. Um, but I think that the household charge thing is more important. Whether government will look in depth at this point at dividing public service broadcasting away from commercial broadcasting if you wanted me to place a bet, I would say they won't go there because it's way too complex. There's no votes in it. Um, and there is a, a strong feeling that says the mix has occasionally been chaotic as in recent weeks, but it has worked pretty well. And as long as we get a handle on this stuff of um, barter accounts and that kind of thing. As long as we don't uh, allow practices from say the 70s and 80s commercial outfits into this area, leave them the hell alone. The, the mix is reasonably okay. Yeah, you mentioned the household charge. That's a very interesting one. Just a couple of things about that. First of all, that of course was mooted and then abandoned in, in light of the water charges and the reaction there was there. And now, if they were to revive that, you know, the, the, the water charges and, and other things prior to that, perhaps the bin charges, suggest that if you, if you want to tax the Irish people, you're better off doing it in a surreptitious manner, putting on uh, a few bob on the income tax or whatever, rather than a separate new charge. Because... For some reason, there's a lot of reasons for uh, the seeds of revolution to start. But for some reason, it's small things like that do it. So I would just wonder about that. And the other element to that is, if they do that, the, the, the fruits of such a charge, you'd have to spread it far wider than RT. Because does anyone under 40, for instance, bother with RT? Absolutely. And particularly in relation to the provision to the people of unbiased news. That has to be multi-platform and therefore people have to be supported uh, in order to do it. Terry, great stuff. Listen, thanks very much for that run through the whole issue. Very enjoyable. And thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank our engineer. Uh, this is Jim Collin, is our engineer today. Thank you, folks, for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Take it easy.
On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.